Amen. Grace greater than our sin. Thankful for that today. Luke chapter 5 in your Bible this morning. Luke chapter 5. Continuing our series on the life of Jesus here in Luke. This is Jesus is the name of it. And uh, we're here in Luke chapter 5 this morning. The last few weeks we've been with Jesus in Capernaum. And we understand Capernaum was the city there at the base of the mountain. It was on a large freshwater lake called the Sea of Galilee, or what we're going to see today. It's called, it was also called the Lake of Gennesaret. And if you look on the back of your bulletin today, there's a space there that has some sermon notes for you. It has the passage for today and has two pictures to the right. And one of those pictures is an actual picture of the Sea of Galilee. It looks much, much like it would have in, the, in what we're going to be reading this morning. The Sea of Galilee measured about 13 miles by 7 miles, about 700 feet below sea level there, and it was the main water source of the area. And it was one that was of much great, great trade, and the fishermen, obviously, as we're looking here this morning, they use it, they still use it uh, to this day. And uh, Jesus has made his way from where he was there in the city of Capernaum, uh, followed by people here to the, to the edge there of the, of the lake, and is about to address them. So let's stand together, Luke chapter 5, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, And prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a drop. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come out and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not from henceforth. Thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to the land, they forsook all and followed him. The title this morning for the message is Launch Out. Launch Out. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, God. We thank you for your word. God, the privilege that it is to read it together today. And I pray, God, that it would be a help to us. God, I pray, Lord, that, Lord, we would have open minds to the application here this morning. And, God, that as we read this story and we examine it together, God, that we would leave here encouraged by what you did there for Peter and the others there that day. Lord, bless us in the service. Now be with me as I preach, Lord. Be with those that aren't able to be here today. Pray that you give them safety. Lord, I pray that you do work in their heart and life as well today. Let's call this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There's a man by the name of Ken Gelbraith. He was an advisor to several presidents, Kennedy and, and Johnson, uh, right as well, one after the other. He told a story in his autobiography about his housekeeper named Emily Wilson, and he was very fond of this woman. It was one that he had, he had worked for him for some time, and there was a particular day that was pretty tiring for him. He had a lot of phone calls, a lot of business that needed to be taken care of, and he had Emily, his housekeeper, hold the telephone calls for a while so he could take a nap. 
pretty much right after he said that, he went to his room, the phone rang, and it was Lyndon Johnson calling from the White House. And Lyndon Johnson on the phone, he said, get me Ken Gelbraith. This is President Johnson. And the housekeeper spoke back to him and said, he is sleeping, Mr. President. He said not to disturb him. And he said, well, wake him up. I want to talk to him. And she responded, no, Mr. President, I work for him, not you. Later on, Galbraith woke up and he received the message that the president had called and he quickly called President Johnson back. And as he got on the line with President Johnson, President Johnson couldn't help but laugh uh, uncontrollably at the situation that had had. He wasn't resisted often. And he said, tell the woman I want her here in the White House. And that's a woman that followed her boss's orders without hesitation. If you look at Peter and we look at his personality, Peter really wasn't one of those types of people, was he? We look at his life and we understand he really acted on a whim at times. He did really what he felt like doing or what he was prompted to do. He had no trouble speaking his mind. And I think many of us can relate to Peter and that personality that he had. But in this passage, we see Peter being spoken to by Jesus. We see this passionate fisherman hearing the command of Jesus, having faith in the command, and then seeing something great happen on the other side of it. And as we study it this morning, what should our response be? When Jesus speaks. We look here at the beginning of this chapter. We see the people of Capernaum had continued to follow Jesus to the Sea of Galilee to hear more of his words. And, and, and we don't know how many were there. Most likely it could have been hundreds. But there's so many people that they're, they're pressing on him, the Bible says there. And he, he's getting closer and closer to the edge of the water to a point to where as he's trying to address them, he's having a difficult time doing so. And as he's there on the shore, he looks over and he sees Peter and, and Andrew and James and John there washing their nets. They had pulled their boats up on the shore and he had already met these men. If you look in the other Gospels, we'll find earlier on he had already called some of them to follow him. But they were there on the shore washing their nets. It was an important task that needed to be done because of all the filth that they would gather up while fishing. And if they weren't washed or dried properly, they would dry and they would, they would rot out and break. Jesus sees this as an opportunity, though, for him to use these men and for them to see something happen. And he goes over to Peter and, and he says he wanted to use his boat and he had to push out a little from the shore. And he sat down and began to teach using the water as an amplification system for his voice. Jesus sat and he taught the people out of the ship. I think like many of you this morning, I've heard these stories my whole life. I remember as a young boy in Sunday schools, the, the, the flannel graph there and seeing the characters on the board and, and going through these stories and answering questions about it afterwards and seeing Jesus here, especially in this, in this story, speaking there on the water and then what was going to happen shortly after. I've seen these stories. I've seen the ones we've already gone through in the book of Luke so many times in my life. But as we continue to, to study the life of Jesus, one thing I've, I've really come to appreciate and recognize that I'd never had before is that Jesus always took time to minister. He always took time to teach and to preach. He always took time to exhort the people that were with him as they were following him, seeking more from him. And, and I think as he did this, I look at Jesus here being followed and followed. We understand last week we looked, he wanted to, to go to a desert place and get away from people for a bit to pray to his father and they followed him there. But we see Jesus here in this passage being followed here to the shore and then being willing to get on a stinky fishing boat to, to speak and preach to the people there. The creator God entering a fish, fishing boat in order to get the message out. 
You know, no, much of the time, no real ministry happens if we're not willing to get into similar positions. Until we're willing to be uncomfortable at times. I see Jesus here in this, in this boat, this smelly boat, and until we are willing to do the same thing and to be uncomfortable, we will not be able to reach all that God intends for us to reach. So Jesus sat there in the boat, he taught these people, and he began to depart from them, and he looks to Peter as they were leaving with some instruction. And there in verse 4 he says, Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drop. There was some instruction there to Peter to launch out. What was Peter doing when Jesus decided to use his boat? He was cleaning his nets. He was was making sure his boat was secure there to the shore. He had really just finished fishing. And we understand, as we read there, he had been doing it all night. And now Jesus looks to him again and says, it's time to go back out and fish some more. The boat was being put up. They'd gotten back. Jesus knew that. And Peter, you can imagine him being out all night. He was no doubt ready to get home to his wife and his mother-in-law, who'd been healed by Jesus uh, just not too long before this, this passage. And Jesus looks at him as he's preparing to go home and tells him to launch out again to get out of his comfort zone he tells him to not only launch out but launch out into the deep not only asked him to do something uncomfortable for him and to get back out and to work some more but then he's asking him to do something improbable and as we look here at the text this sounds normal to many of us if you have a boat you take it out in the water and you fish but in those days the fishermen were most successful at nighttime and in shallow water And it's daytime, and he wants them to go to the deep water. Every good fisherman in those days knew that. They understood that. That's how they did it. And he speaks to Peter. He says, launch out into the deep, and then let your nets out for a drop. So go out there to the deep water where no fish are at this time of day, and let out your nets and bring in a bunch of fish. What Jesus was asking of him was not normal. For a fisherman in his experience and his wisdom, no doubt, as he's being asked to do this, he's a little confused and it, was, it wasn't convenient. It wasn't logical to Peter. It seemed improbable for anything to happen in this point. But as we examine our Christian life, if we look at the Word of God, we understand as well that everything the Bible tells us to do isn't always easy, is it? We look at the Christian life, the Christian life is one of of bearing a cross, the Christian life is one of being set apart, the Christian life is one of of being different than the world and and being allied and and living as Christ would have us to live, which is much of the time contrary to many that are walking this world with us. That call is on every Christian. And our Christian life at times is inconvenient. Our Christian life at times, if we compare it to other good people around us that don't know Jesus, may seem illogical or or, or the things that are asked of us to do may seem improbable to bring true results that we may be looking for. And Jesus went to Peter and he says, I want you to launch out into the deep, let the nets out for a great quantity of fish. What happened after this? First thing we see from Peter is there was hesitant faith, wasn't there? He speaks to Jesus there and respectfully says, Master, there in verse 5, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. I've been out at the most probable time to catch fish. 
and I came back empty. That word, that word nothing in, in, the, in the Greek here means not even one, zero. You know, Peter isn't really beginning this response to Jesus with a whole lot of faith. Say, Master, we worked all night, we know fishing, uh, you, you know, respectfully, you don't. This place is fished out, besides, we're exhausted, I haven't slept, I, I, I was out here all night trying to, to get fish. This is a real response from Peter, and one that I believe we can all relate with this morning, can't we? How often do we have similar excuses in our life? You think, you know, it's not the right time, or things are a little hectic at work. A lot of things going on with my kids right now, or, you know, to serve God in this capacity, I'm really not as knowledgeable as I probably should be to have, make any kind of difference, so right now it's just not the time. Possibly we see somebody at work throughout the week, and we understand they need to be talked to about Jesus. Our heart may be prompted to do that. We may have committed to God earlier in the day, earlier in the week, or on Sunday that we were going to talk to them this week, and we look at them across the way, and it doesn't seem like the right day. It doesn't seem like they're going to respond as we would like them to, so we were, we're just, now's not the right time. Or maybe we look at the life of one of our kids, someone that we have influence over, someone we're trying to help, and we know we need to approach them about some sort of sin in their life or to warn them about some things that they may be getting into that they shouldn't be and, or something that the Bible says they should be doing that they're not or something they're doing the Bible says they shouldn't do. And today's not the right day. I don't want to push them off too hard. I don't want to burn them out on the Bible or church. Today's not the right day. Maybe we want to be more involved in church. Maybe we've been prompted to do more for God or to, to be a better witness or just to uh, serve here in some capacity to, to be a help in one ministry or another. But we're worried about how our spouse may feel about that. Worried about how it may hurt us in other areas in life. The time is never perfect. Our hearts are never perfect. But Jesus honors those who obey him. You know, we see Peter's hesitancy here and we understand it. I think all of us can, can relate with it. And that's what his flesh is thinking. But then we see his obedience. He says, Master, we've, we've toiled all night. We've taken nothing. Then what does he say? Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. So we see hesitant faith and then we see obedience. Statistically, not, not too high a chance that there, anything good is going to happen in the eyes of Peter, is it? But he obeyed. Nighttime was the time to fish, not the daytime. They just fished all night. They'd caught nothing. But what happened to Peter not too long before this? In his own house. His mother-in-law, unconscious with a fever, was there and Jesus came and healed her. And she got up and started to serve dinner. In the synagogue that same day, Peter was most likely there. Jesus was teaching, and what happened? A very powerful man in the back began to cry out and began to say all kinds of things. He recognized Jesus being a demon-possessed man as the Messiah. What did Jesus do? He spoke, the demon left. He saw his authority over those things. Jesus is telling him to do this. Possibly he wants to do something through it. You know, we need faith this morning 
to do what he calls us to do. Trust him and have faith. We need greater faith in him personally. I, I, I love the story, the story of Jesus we're going through, and sometimes the messages may be real similar to the one before it. But I, I don't know about you, but I think every time we're reminded of who Jesus is, it'll strengthen our faith. Every time we're reminded of the capabilities of Jesus as he walked this earth and his heart for people and what he did, it should better our relationship with him and our, our desire to take advantage of what he has for us. And we can understand his capabilities. We can understand who he is. We can understand his power, understand his love for each and every one of us. We need better faith in him, and our faith in him will be better when we know him better personally. But not just personally this morning, our faith will be better in him as we have better faith not just in the person of Jesus, but in the word of Jesus. Peter was having faith in Jesus, but he was also having faith in the words that were spoken of him. What did he say? Nevertheless, at thy word, I'll do what you said. I know you, I've seen what you can do. You're telling me to do something, I'm, I'm going to trust what you're saying here. Learning to obey the words of God is really one of the first tests of discipleship. The word of God is what needs to set the agenda for our lives. And so often as we look at our life and we examine what we're doing, it's not the Bible that sets the agenda often, is it? What sets our agenda often? Opinions of others? What someone may think? What we have time for? What is reasonable? What the world sees as normal, what the world sees as acceptable. I want to encourage you this morning, don't let fear of man guide you. D don't let a critic guide you. Have faith in what the Bible says. What, what does the Bible tell us? Faith, faith cometh by what? Hearing. And hearing by what? The word of God. You know, we can't take our cues this morning, we can't take our, our cues from the media, from the politicians, from educational systems, from what our co-workers think. We need to take our cues from the Word of God. And God will work through His Word. You know, the Bible gives us instructions that seem to be different than what our natural flesh often wants to do, doesn't it? Yeah. What does the Bible tell us in Romans 12? It says, be patient in tribulation. When we're under tribulation, when we're under a trial in our life, what does our flesh want to do? Take it in our own hands, flee, fix it at any cost, correct? What about somebody that hates us? Jesus and Matthew said, do good to them that hate you. It says, have no fellowship with darkness. Let all things be done in love. Let us walk honestly. Take no anxious thought of tomorrow. Stop worrying about What's ahead? What about this one? Seek first the kingdom of God. We understand this morning as Christians we need to pray. We need to pray for laborers. We need to pray for one another. We, we understand those things and as a Christian that makes sense. We should pray for people to be able to come out and witness or to reach others. We should pray for each other as a church. I don't think anyone in here is arguing with those things. That what else is, who else does the Bible tell us to pray for? Our enemies. What about this one? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's uncomfortable. And there's many people, as if we were to do what the Bible commands us in that area, that may be a little offended 
at the confrontational question we may be asking in that situation. May step on their toes, possibly upset them. And as we hear these commands of Jesus, just like Peter, we say, well, you know, I've, I've fished all night. I've tried this before. I've heard that person's opinion on Jesus before. Nevertheless, at thy word, I'll let down the net. Many of us know the word of God today. But are we obeying the word? Launch out. You know, Peter didn't understand. But he moved at the words of Jesus. And what happened? Look at verse 6. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net break. I like to imagine them on the boat that day. Jesus tells them to let down the net and I can imagine Peter saying, Jesus, you know, he's grabbing the net possibly. I've worked all night. I've, I've been out here. There's no fish, but at your word, I'll do it. And immediately, I like to imagine that boat just shifted. Simple obedience brought a great miracle in Peter's life. And Peter's shock in that moment as, as the net is obviously more full of fish than it has ever been in his lifetime and he begins to try to pull it in himself and he hears the net breaking the boat is beginning to sink and he calls on uh, James and John to come over and to help him and he sees this great miracle that Jesus did in his life even when he doubted he obeyed and God did something great for him And with the same authority Jesus had over the fever of his mother-in-law, the same authority Jesus had over that demon, he had authority over some fish to put him in a net. He intervened and showed his power in an incredible way. Why did Jesus do this for them? Were they not good at fishing? I would hope they would be. I mean, it was their profession. If, if, If they weren't good at it, they probably should have been doing something else. They were good at fishing. Were they lazy? No. What was Peter doing? He had just fished all night. And, and like some people, he didn't just leave his boat there and all the stuff just in it. He'd come back to it later. What was he doing? He was cleaning his nets. He was putting them properly away. He was taking care of what he had. He, he wasn't a lazy person. Were there no fish in the water? There were plenty of fish. We just, we just found that out. Why did Jesus do this that day? He wanted them to know there was no power in themselves apart from his power. Without him, we can do nothing. But with him, all things are possible. You know, church, there's a lot of hard things that God has called us to do in his word. There's a lot of commands that are uncomfortable or inconvenient or improbable to, that would, to accomplish anything in our mind. And, but we need to understand that there is no power in ourselves apart from the power of Jesus to do any of it. And as Jesus wants us to launch out this morning, he wants us to understand that as we step out of our comfort zone and launching out that he is enough. His power is enough. Look at the men in this passage. Simple men. 
improbable circumstances. And look what Jesus did. And be reminded together this morning of the power of Jesus here in the story. What is our response to the ability to do great things through simple people? What is our response to God's ability to do, simple, to do great things through simple people? How should this story affect me? How should this story affect you today? Just like it did Peter, James, and John. As, as we look at this happening, three things happened. Three things quickly and we're done. It's not going to be too quick, but three things and we're done. The first thing we see as a result of this happening to them was humility. I love this part. Look at verse 8. They just got all the, all the fish in. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the draught of fishes which they had taken. Immediately after Jesus works in this way in their life, Peter falls to his face before Jesus on the boat. And not just from a distance, he was, he was at the, the knees of Jesus. Telling him, depart from me. I'm not, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. I'm not worthy to be used of you. I'm not worthy to be your friend. I'm not worthy for you to do this for me. He recognized his power. He was overwhelmed. He was overwhelmed by two things. First of all, the greatness of Jesus. And hope this morning that you as well are overwhelmed by his greatness. But he wasn't just overwhelmed by the greatness of Jesus. He was overwhelmed by the greatness of his own sin. He was brought face to face with the greatness of Jesus. And he was brought face to face because of that with the greatness of his own sin. And this is always true for us. We can never truly see ourselves as we truly are until we see ourselves in the light of Jesus, of who he truly is. What happened to Isaiah when he saw Jesus, when he saw God? He said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. He was overwhelmed. What about Daniel? We look, we look pretty highly of Daniel in the word of God, don't we? Daniel was up on a pedestal, really, of all the people around him, but Daniel's vision of Jesus, he said, my beauty turned into corruption. And when Peter saw himself in the light of Jesus, all he could do was act in humility. But our problem today is we usually just see ourselves in light of each other. And in your light, I don't look too bad. <laughs> in my light, you don't look too bad. In the light of some other people in, our, in society or the light of some other people in our family, you may not look too bad. You know, in some light, I'm a pretty handsome fella. I have a 40-watt bulb. But as soon as I'm under a spotlight like I am right now, <laughs> as soon as I look in a mirror in a room with a bright light, I'm reminded of the devastation that my looks bring to me. In light of Jesus, we are reminded of our unrighteousness of her unworthiness. And if you truly see yourself as you are this morning, you wonder, 
How can we, with all of our sinfulness, be able to be used of God in any capacity? Because of him. Through the one who can fill a net with fish. In the most improbable time, in the most improbable way. You know, we are unworthy to be used, but he chose to use us. But in order for him to use us, we need to realize and understand this morning that anything we accomplish for God will not be because of us, but because of him. It'll be by his spirit, not by might, not by power, but by his spirit. So our first response to his miracle working should be humility. Secondly, second response would be surrender. These men just made the greatest catch of their lives. Can you imagine how they were feeling at that point? If Jesus is going to be with them, every time they go fishing, it should be pretty good from now on. The greatest catch of their life, and then Jesus looks at them, and he says, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. This is your last day of fishing, Peter. What did they do? And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. They forsook everything they had. They forsook that occupation. Forsook their own will, their own desires, and they left to go with Jesus. Their job was different now. It was no longer about them. It was about him. Well, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Jesus purchased you with his own blood. And because of that, it says, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirits, which are God's. And there are people here this morning that would raise their hand, and I think maybe all of us this morning would raise their hand, and we would say, you know what, I am committed to living for God. I'm committed to pleasing him. I'm committed to, to being in church. I'm committed to, to, to living for him and, and, and trying to please him with my life. But God is not just seeking people to be committed to him. He is seeking surrender. What is the difference between commitment and surrender? When you make a commitment, that's a good thing. It's good to commit to Jesus, but when we make a commitment, who's in control? Us. No matter how noble the thing you commit to, if you commit to something, you're in control of that. You can commit to pray. You can commit to studying the Bible. You can commit to, to give a certain amount of money. You can commit to a car payment. Commit to lose weight. Whatever a person that commits commits to do they they can do it it's their choice but surrender is a different thing if you're surrounded in battle the enemy had approached and they have you surrounded and they told you they tell you to lift your hands as an act of surrender you don't speak back to that person and say no no need for that I'm, I'm committed I'll be on your side I won't do anything wrong No, what do we do? You raise your hands and surrender to their mercy. Whatever they're about to ask of you or push you to do. Surrender to do as you're told. God isn't looking for Christians who are just committed. He's looking for Christians who are surrendered, who are willing to abandon oneself entirely to his influence. 
know, Jesus in Matthew 16, he said, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Deny his old life, deny what he wants to do, deny his own will, and take up his cross and follow me. And for us to be fully surrendered this morning is to go, is to, go to God and give him our will, our affections, our body, and our soul, not seeking our own happiness, not seeking our own desires, but not seeking our happiness as the supreme object, but willing to renounce everything we have to live for Jesus, if required. You know, because of how good he is, because of his power, we need to surrender our will for his. But it doesn't just stop at surrender. They forsook all, and then what did they do? They followed him. It wasn't just surrender, there was submission. Surrender is needed before we can truly submit. Now, Jeremiah, in, in chapter 10, of, in verse 23, he says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. He recognized it was what God wanted. The Bible tells us in the book of James, submit yourselves therefore to God. Submit to what it is God has for you to do. Submit to the word of God, the will of God. You know, the Bible tells us, in the, book, in the book of James, to be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving our own self. And there's a lot of people in churches all over the world this morning that are hearing the word of God and that can quote the word of God and that understand what it says, but it's more than just being committed, more than just hearing it. It is actually doing what it says and surrendering and submitting to it. God has given us complete instruction and he, deserve, he, is, he is looking for, he deserves obedience. You know, I can think of big needs in my life that consume me. I can think of troubles in my life that burden me. But whenever I applied the word of God to my life and I gave those things over to him and trusted him, so many times God did something great. At the end of July, I had a pastor friend contact me about a church in Midland, Texas. And he... he I had called me about it, talked to me about it for a minute, and I'm like, yeah, don't think so. <laughs> He's like, well, you just, just pray about it. I said, I will. I committed to doing that. So I prayed about it. I didn't want it. A couple weeks go by, I, I talked to uh, Brother Terry. He's the first man from here I ever talked to, and I, I called him. We had a quick conversation, and, and we text back and forth a little bit, but it just it didn't seem like much was happening, but at the same time, it never went away. Two weeks after that, a man by the name of Verl Gunter called me. He's here this morning. I'd, I'd never heard, heard or talked to Brother Verl before. He told me the church was interested and that the only one, uh, that they, they were going to call us to come if, if we were willing to pray about it and God was in it. And Pastor Gunter talked to me and we talked several times beyond that and we eventually came down. We gave it to God. And as we moved down here, there's, we fell in love with it long before we moved down, fell in love with it on our first visit. It wasn't an easy thing to do. Not easy taking my kids from where they were born and raised and my wife from the church she grew up in. Not just away, but 18 hours away. But there's no place he'd rather be. 
I remember the first time as a 13-year-old boy knocking on a door on teen soul winning. I'd spent a couple months, we had teen soul winning every Wednesday after school and we would go out and spend a couple months listening to a high schooler and how they did it. And he looked at me and he goes, it's your turn. So I remember a chubby little seventh grader walking up to a door and I, I knocked on the door there and this teenage girl came to the door that was three or four years older than me. I was very intimidated. I remember looking at her and wondering if I'm going to turn around and walk away, if I'm going to look at the guy next to me for him to say something. And I held out a track and I began to tell her about Jesus. And I asked the question they told me we were supposed to ask if she knew if something was to happen to her, if she would go to heaven. She said no. And about 10 minutes later, I had gone through the Romans road with her, and she bowed, and she accepted Jesus. I'll never forget that day. A couple years ago, I knocked on a door in an apartment complex. This young man in his early 20s answered, and he didn't have a shirt on at the time. He, he said, let me go put on some clothes. I'm like, okay. So he closed, he closed the door as fast as he could, and he was gone. About three or four minutes passed by, and I, I looked at the guy next to me. I'm like, he's not coming back. We sat there, and another minute went by. I said, all right, we'll give him just a little bit. I'll, I'll knock one last time, and we'll go. And as I'm saying that, the door opened. He was fully dressed and, and out there ready to talk, and I began to talk to him. He'd been struggling for a long time with addictions, and he was, he was trying to get it right. He was going to a non-denominational church in town. They had an addictions ministry, and I asked him how he was doing with that, and I, I told him, I said, I don't know if you know this or not. I hope you do. But if you're trying to do this on your own, it's not, it's not going to work. I said, I, Jesus can help you. I said, has there been a time in your life where you put your faith and trust in him for salvation? And he, he had no idea about that. About 15, 20 minutes later, he bowed his head and he accepted Jesus. I didn't think it was going to happen that day. I almost walked away. But Jesus said to cast out the net. This fall, I was knocking on, a, knocking on a door with one of our college students who was home on a break. We were there in another apartment complex. It was a rainy day, just a nasty day, but we found some apartments that were indoor and knocked on a door and this about six foot six, big, big, strong young man came to the door, looked real mean, looked like he didn't want to be talking to anybody that morning. And we began to talk to him and I asked him, just what he was doing, if he was still in school, and we began to talk, and he told me his life wasn't going too good for him at the moment. We talked for a little bit, and I told him I had something that could help him with that. About 10 minutes later, he accepted Jesus as his Savior, and I remember as we said amen, he looked up at me, and he said, I feel different. Began to talk to him about baptism and about our youth group, trying to get him to come, and I heard a door on the, it was the second floor of the apartment building, I heard a door close and here comes a, another young man that looks exactly like him, it was his twin brother. And he looks at his brother, he says, hey, come over here, I want these guys to tell you what they told me. About ten minutes later, his brother accepted Jesus. If I went by what made sense, none of those people would have ever asked, accepted the Lord because I wouldn't have done anything about it. 
Statistically, those chances didn't seem high on any of those people. But I launched out at his word. And he's the one that can fill the net. The task is there. Jesus' power is there. We just need to be willing and launch out at his word. About 150 years ago, there was a great revival in Wales. And as a result of this, many, peop- many things were started. Many missionaries came from this. And a great group of missionaries left Wales and, and started to reach all of India. It had never been reached at that time. So people in America were, were, were understanding the need there. And a group of American missionaries went to northern India. And they started to reach these. There were hundreds of tribes with, uh, full of primitive people and headhunters. They went to these communities, and there was one missionary in particular that was able to reach one family in this, in this very large tribe, and he reached these people, and he was run out. But this family that was saved began to tell other people in the village about it, and it was a contagious thing, and revival started happening in this tribe. The chief heard what was going on, and that all these people were turning away from these idols, and he began to, to summon all the villagers to... The, the middle area where they would meet and he called the family who had first publicly, publicly converted called them in front of everyone and asked them to renounce their faith or face execution and this, this father of this family he looked at the chief and he said these words in, 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 in his own language he said I have decided to follow Jesus the chief was enraged at the response that, that this man gave him and he ordered archers to kill this man's sons right in front of everybody and as the sons were laying there the chief points at them and he says will you deny your faith you've lost your children do you want to lose your wife too and this man in his language said though no one joins me still I will follow the chief was even more furious and he ordered the wife to be shot down and He pointed at this man's wife, his sons who were just killed, and he says, I'll give you one more opportunity. Renounce your faith and you can live. And he said, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. And he was shot dead with the rest of his family. Within a few minutes, emotions began to stir at the camp. And a miracle took place, and this chief is standing there convicted of what he had just done. And He asked the question to himself, he goes, why would this man, his, his wife and children, die for a man who lived in a faraway land thousands of years ago? There must be something behind this. Someone talked to the chief about it, and he ended up trusting Christ that same day. Then everyone that witnessed, they said, witnesses say the whole village accepted Jesus. A missionary was, that was reaching those people was told that story, and he took those three phrases that man said, put it to a poem, put it to a song, and it's still sung all over India today, and it's something that's been brought over to us. I have decided to follow Jesus. Will you sing it with me today? I have decided... To follow Jesus, I have decided 
to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. We know his power. We know his commands. We need humility, surrender, and submission. And trust him to do the rest. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. God, the privilege.